Hello everybody, this is uh, Jake from Untying the Knot, and I just, uh, over the course of the last few days, I've been thinking a lot about the First Amendment, especially when it comes to um, how our news media organizations have chosen to uh, uh, sort of discuss and, and portray the um, protests and, and events that have, that have gone on uh, regarding the death of George Floyd and the, the issue of um, uh, policing in the United States and the role of police and, and things like that. Um, and really, it, 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 this is more born out of my, my disappointment in how media organizations on both sides have chosen to portray the issue uh, rather than um, any uh, uh, attempt to rebuke anyone's opinions or, or thoughts about um, the subject matter of the protests. It's more about um, the political statement that, uh, of the protests as they are and, and, and how, um, uh, just according to the way the First Amendment is written, how I would think that government should be expected to acknowledge and respond. Um, I'm often reminded of um, previous times when people have, have felt the need to protest, and I'm, and I'm um, in particular, actually thinking of uh, uh, one major uh, conservative hero uh, in the form of Ronald Reagan when he went to Berlin and uh, had people protesting outside. And, and rather than uh, try to uh, confuse what the protesters are saying or try to um, um, throw out a bunch of different examples of, of ways that the protesters were, were, were wrong. All he said was, I hear what you're saying. And if I thought that uh, a, a peaceful demonstration was the, the only way to end this, this Cold War conflict, I'd be right out there with you. And, and, and in doing that, he acknowledged the people who disagreed with him, with, the, with him and also validated their opinion in a way. And I feel like a lot of that gets lost in the way our media, our current media in this um, internet-influenced tabloid state uh, sort of discusses um, these events. And so I, I wrote this... Um, for lack of a better term, a parable about the First Amendment that, and, and, and the thoughts that follow, um, sort of in response to, to how I see uh, the coverage. And so I, I do want to clarify that, that what I'm reading here and what I'm saying here doesn't necessarily reflect the opinions or views of my, of my two co-hosts. This is um, my statement, but um, it, I do think it's an important one to put out there. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start. This is my parable about the First Amendment. Once there was a group of prosperous men who lived under a king. The king had recently been at war with a political rival, and the cost had been great. To make up some of the expense, the king issued a new tax, which the men had to pay. If the men couldn't pay the tax, then they would be charged even more money by the king. If they couldn't pay the total amount, then they would be put in jail. The men didn't think this was fair. They had fought hard for the king and put all of their heart into helping the king win his war. They didn't understand why the king would punish them after they had been so helpful. They decided to try to tell the king how they felt. One man, who felt it was best to be direct with the king about how he felt regarding the new tax, decided to write the king a letter. In the letter, he explained that he really appreciated the king and only wanted to help the king be the best leader that he could be. 
but that he thought that the new tax was unfair because he had fought for the king during the war and did everything he could to help the king win. When he was done, he mailed the letter to the king. The king claimed the man was a traitor to his country for not wanting to pay the tax and put the man in jail. Another man decided that a letter was too passive, and he gathered some of his family and friends to meet in the town square and try to explain to people how they felt about the new tax. The man and his family and friends wanted to see if their peaceful gathering might attract support from other citizens. Together, they thought, they might be able to convince the king to change his new tax law. But when they got to the town square, the king's police were already waiting for them. The king's police said that they were dangerous dissidents for gathering to protest the king's law. And they put the man and his family and friends in jail. A third man, seeing what had happened to the man and his family and friends, decided that he would not send a letter, nor would he gather his family and friends to protest. He simply decided to talk to his friends about the tax and explain to them, to them why he didn't like it. One of his friends, who was also his neighbor, decided to tell the king about what the man was saying. The neighbor knew that if the man went to jail, he would not be around to protect his house or the belongings that he kept inside. That night, when the man came home from work, the king's police were waiting for him. They said he was fomenting insurrection and put him in jail. A fourth man, who owned a newspaper, saw what the king had done to his three friends. He decided to write a story about how the king had treated his friends and why. When the king read the story, he felt the man had been biased against him because he was friends with the other three men and probably did not like the king's tax law either. He sent his police to arrest the man for spreading fake news, and they put him in jail. A fifth man, who wasn't really friends with the other four men because he was not as prosperous and really just didn't hang out in the same crowds as them, happened to be very religious. He didn't even mind the king's tax because one of the many teachings of his religion. However, after a while, the man found he was having trouble paying both his taxes and his tithe. He wanted to be a good citizen and a good member of his religion, but he was unsure of how to do both. He spoke to his clergyman about it, and he also spoke to his tax collector. The tax collector told the king. The king noticed that the man was not a member of his religion. Rather than arrest him because of the tax law, because the man was actually willing to pay if the king just lowered the rate, the king said that the man was the member of the wrong religion and put him in jail. This is why we have the First Amendment. In the colonies that lived under the British king, new taxes were imposed because of the French and Indian War portion of the Seven Years' War. The people in the colonies tried to express in legal ways why they felt the new laws and taxes were unfair, but in the end they found they were not allowed. The citizens of the colonies didn't have any representation in Parliament, so they couldn't express themselves through the actions of voting. But if they tried other ways of expressing themselves, they were punished. After the American Revolution, when the same people were establishing their own government, they made sure that the rights to petition, like the man with the letter, assembly, like the man with his family and friends, Expression, like the man who was talking to his friends and neighbors. Press, like the man with the newspaper. And religion, like the last man, were protected from government interference. But just because this is a general parable regarding why we have the First Amendment does not mean the parable only applies to that point in history. Think of the civil rights efforts that grew out of world, the World Wars. After fighting with distinction in World War II, many non-white soldiers returned home to be treated, at best, like second-class citizens. When they tried to speak out about their treatment, they often faced the same treat same uh, responses as the five men in the story, and that was in the best of situations. Often, they were abused and ridiculed by those opposed to their message, even when the people who were opposed to their message were members of the government. 
Keep in mind, when Martin Luther King was protesting, they were aware that they were going to attract the billy clubs and the dogs and the hoses. The point was to get the pictures out there so that other people would see them and see that their cause was just in the punishment that they were willing to take, just for the cause of civil rights. We may not always like the political messages that people want us to hear, but that doesn't give us the right to harm those people for speaking their mind, and it most definitely does not give the government the right to hurt them either. If the people are peaceful and on public land, then their expression does not violate the Constitution. As soon as individuals begin acting with violence, they break laws and can be prosecuted. So, you know, it's, it's, it's rioting, looting, it's illegal, and once they start doing those things, those individuals can be arrested by the police. And those peaceful individuals can remain peaceful. It's not, basically, you know, the, uh, it's an easy distinction to make. The person who is standing and speaking, even if the way they are speaking is a song or a chant, even if the way they are speaking makes their face look angry and their expressions seem passionate, they're still easy to distinguish from the person who's throwing rocks through store windows or bricks at police officers and stealing things. The same goes for the person with the press badge taking pictures, even though we've heard a few times of different members of the press being attacked by both sides of this issue, the police and the looters. It does not matter the era or the issue or the cause. If people care enough to express a political concern and are doing it in a legally viable way, then they should be allowed to express that concern. Time and time again, we have seen that when people are able to effectively communicate their needs to the government and feel as if their voice is being heard, then the issue does not become inflamed with violent passion. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I think America must see that the riots do not, de that riots do not develop out of thin air. Certain conditions continue to exist in our society which must be condemned as vigorously as we condemn riots. But in the final analysis, a riot is the language of the unheard. And what is it that America has failed to hear? It has failed to hear that the plight of the black poor has worsened over the last few years. I censored a certain word because I honestly, as a white man, don't feel comfortable saying it as much anymore. Uh, it has failed to hear that the promises of freedom and justice have not been met. It has failed to hear that large segments of white society are more concerned about tranquility and the status quo than about justice, equality, and humanity. There's an inner, there's an, uh, a passage uh, in between that is mostly about what's happened, what was happening in the 1960s, but the last part of the statement I think is also important to include where he says, and as long as America postpones justice, we stand in the position of having these re recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. Social justice and progress are the absolute guarantors of riot prevention. And let's keep in mind that over the course of the 30 years between Martin Luther King and Rodney King, and the 30 years that have happened subsequent to that, his prediction has rung true. We have continued to see these recurrences of violence and riots over and over again. And with regards to the Rodney King one, when people uh, look at some of the suggested responses with regard to the uh, military and the National Guard, well, that's exactly how they ended those, you know? With that in mind, a lesson we could take away from, this, from what this quote says with regard to recent protests, in particular the reason why the Second Amendment and COVID reopening protests of 2020 remain nonviolent, while the George Floyd protests did not, is that the former has been heard. In fact, 
in the case of the COVID reopening protests, the people gathered to protest the violation of the First Amendment right to assemble by basically assembling around government buildings. Their message was undermined by the fact that they were kind of misunderstanding the very amendment they were gathering to protest. And yet instead of trying to disperse them, the government simply let them make themselves heard. On the other hand, to many it seems as if the latter's message has been ignored time and time again since the days of Dred Scott and before. If you're losing count of what time period that is, Dred Scott was before the Civil War. And, you know, so what we're saying is this this is a slow process that has been happening for a much longer time than we often like to give it credit for. Regardless, when sections of the country feel unheard and their passions are ignited into violence, their actions do not negate the message of those who protested peacefully. If you're giving out apples, and I politely ask you for an apple, my request should not be affected even if the next person you speak to slaps you in the face and tries to take the apple that I requested. I did the right thing and peacefully made a legitimate request. The action that followed had nothing to do with me or my request, even though it was also for an apple. This should be the way that we see political expression according to the First Amendment. If peaceful demonstrations happen in hundreds of localities across the United States, but violence erupts in New York, Washington, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and the other bigger metropolitan districts, the, the violence that erupts should not negate the message of the hundreds of peaceful protests and what they were attempting to convey. This is true whether the issue is one of civil rights, Second Amendment rights, conduct of the police, international fiscal policy, climate change, whatever. It is also worth noting that the actions of a small few can ruin the most peaceful of protests. Therefore, when the effort for peaceful communication fails, it is on those of us who are watching to make sure we correctly understand the original message, whether we like what the people are saying or we're saying or not. For history continues to teach us that the distraction of the violent spectacle can cause the attempted communication of a legitimate expression of protest to remain unheard. And as long as it remains unheard, we fall subject to the same violent attempts to protest as we see now. If we want it to be better, we can't just assume that it's going to get better and assume that doing the same thing over and over again is going to change something. We have to listen. And we have to make sure that the people who are protesting are heard. Um, you know, with the, with the Second Amendment protests in Virginia, where I live, uh, some political action, some political gains were made by the protesters. They felt heard. It, 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 it's, it's simple to be able to listen, whether you like what you're listening to or not. 